Welcome or welcome to Sci-Fi Guy. This is Will. This is your Sci-Fi Guy. And we're going to do a bit of a departure tonight. We're going to go to one of the best, one of the most popular and prolific sci-fi authors, the great Ray Bradbury. Mr. Bradbury is known for The Martian Chronicles, I Sing, The Body Electric, uh, I Robot. You know, if you've if you've never heard of him, which I'm pretty, I'd be pretty surprised and shocked that you uh, that you have not. But you know his work, Fahrenheit 451. Uh, he did screenplays as well as novels. He did It Came from Outer Space, and of course, one of his most famous is The Illustrated Man. Uh, something Wicked This Way com Comes. On and on. Mr. Bradbury was born in Illinois, and he lived till 91. A long and distinguished career. He did many short stories, and we're going to hear one tonight. This is A Little Journey. And it is what's wonderful, and I'm going to try to, you know, scrounge around and scour the net for more. It's public domain, which is one of the reasons I'm able to read it to you. And you guys can enjoy and not be worried about any fees or, uh, or uh, you know, money, monetary demands. So here we go. This is A Little Journey by Ray Bradbury. There were two important things. One, that she was very old. Two, that Mr. Thurkel was taking her to God. For he hadn't patted her hand and said, Mrs. Bellows will take off into space in my rocket and go to find him together. And that was how it was going to be. Oh, this wasn't like any other group Mrs. Bellows had ever joined. In her fervor to light a path for her delicate, tottering feet, she had struck matches down dark alleys and found her way to Hindu mystics who floated their flickering, starry eyelashes over crystal balls. She had walked in the meadow paths with ecstatic Indian philosophers imported by daughters in spirit of Madame Blavatsky. She had made pilgrimage to California's stucco jungles to hunt the astrological seer in his natural habitat. She had even consented to signing away the rights to one of her homes in order to be taken into the shouting order of a temple of amazing evangelists who had promised her golden smoke, crystal fire, and the great soft hand of God coming to bear her home. None of these people had ever shaken Mrs. Bellow's faith, even when she saw them sirened away in a black wagon in the night or discovered their pictures bleak and unromantic in the morning tabloids. The world had roughed them up, locked them away because they knew too much. That was all. And then, two weeks ago, she had seen Mr. Thurkel's advertisement in New York City. Come to Mars. Stay at the Thurkel Restorium for one week. And then on into space on the greatest adventure life can offer. Send for the free pamphlet, Mirror of My God to Thee. Excursion rates, round trip slightly lower. Round trip, Mrs. Bellows had thought, 
but who would come back after seeing him? And so she bought a ticket and flown off to Mars and spent seven mild days at Mr. Thurkle's Restorium, the building with the sign on which flashed Thurkle's Rocket to Heaven. She had spent the week bathing in limpid waters, erasing the care from her tiny bones. And now she fidgeted, ready to be loaded into Mr. Thurkle's own special private rocket, like a bullet to be fired on out into space beyond Jupiter and Saturn and Pluto. And thus, who could deny it? You would be getting nearer and nearer to the Lord. How wonderful. Couldn't you just feel him drawing near? Couldn't you just sense his breath, his scrutiny, his presence? Here I am, said Mrs. Bellows, an ancient rickety elevator ready to go up the shaft. God need only to press the button. Now, on the seventh day, as she minced up the steps of the restorium, a number of small doubts assailed her. For one thing, she said aloud to no one, it isn't quite the land of milk and honey here on Mars that they said it would be. My room is like a cell. The swimming pool is really quite inadequate. And besides, how many windows who look like mushrooms or skeletons want to swim? And finally, the whole restorium smells of boiled cabbage and tennis shoes. She opened the front door and let it slam somewhat irritably. She was amazed at the other women in the auditorium. It was like wandering in a carnival mirror maze, coming again and again upon yourself. The same flowery face, the same chicken hands, with jingling bracelets, one after another, of the images of herself floated before her. She put out her hand, but it wasn't a mirror. It was another lady shaking her fingers and saying, We're waiting for Mr. Thurkle. Shh! Ah, whispered everyone. The velvet curtains parted. Mr. Thurkle appeared, fantastically serene, his Egyptian eyes upon everyone. But there was something, nevertheless, in his appearance, which made one expect him to call, Hi! While fuzzy dogs jumped over his legs, through his hooped arms, and over his back. Then, dogs and all, he should dance with a dazzling piano keyboard smile off into the wings. Mrs. Bellows, with a secret part of her mind which she constantly had to grip tightly, expected to hear a cheap Chinese gong sound when Mr. Thurkle entered. His large, liquid, dark eyes were so improbable that one of the old ladies had facetiously claimed she saw a mosquito cloud hovering over them, as they did around summer rain barrels. And Mrs. Bellows sometimes caught the scent of a theatrical mothball and the smell of calliope steam on his sharply pressed suit. But with the same savage rationalization that had greeted all other disappointments in her rickety life, she bit at the suspicion and whispered, This time it's real. This time it'll work. Haven't we got a rocket? Mr. Thurkle bowed. He smiled a sudden comedy mask smile. The old ladies looked in his looked into him and sensed chaos there. Before he even began to speak, Mrs. Bellows saw him picking up each of his words, oiling it, making sure it ran smooth on its rails. Her heart squeezed in like a tiny fist, and she gritted her porcelain teeth. Friends, said Mr. Thurkle, and you could hear the frost snap in the hearts of the entire assemblage. No, said Mrs. Bellows ahead of time. She could hear the bad news rushing at her. 
and herself tied to the track while the immense black wheels threatened and the whistles screamed helpless. There will be a slight delay, said Mr. Thurkle. In the next instant, Thurkle might have cried or been tempted to cry, Ladies be seated, in minstrel fashion, for the ladies had come up at him from their chairs, protesting and trembling. Not a very long delay, Mr. Thurkle put up his hands to pat the air. How long? Only a week. A week? Yes, you can stay here at the restorium for seven more days, can't you? A little delay won't matter, will it, in the end? You've waited a lifetime. Only a few more days. At twenty dollars a day, thought Mrs. Bellows coldly. What's the trouble, her woman cried. A legal difficulty, said Thurkle. We've a rocket, haven't we? Well, y yes. But I've been here a whole month waiting, said one old lady. Delays, delays. That's right, said everyone else. Ladies, ladies, murmured Mr. Thurkle, smiling serenely. We want to see the rocket. It was Mrs. Bellows forging ahead alone, brandish brandishing her fist like a toy hammer. Mr. Thurkle looked into the old lady's eyes, a missionary among albino cannibals. Well now, he said. Yes, now, cried Mrs. Bellows. I'm afraid, he began. So am I, she said. That's why we want to see the ship. No, no, now, Mrs. He snapped his fingers for her name. Bellow, she cried. She was a small container, but now all the seething pressure that had been built up over long years came steaming through the delicate vents of her body. Her cheeks became incandescent. With a wail that was a melancholy factory whistle, Mrs. Bellows ran forward and hung to him, almost by her teeth, like a summer maddened spitz. She wouldn't and never could let go until he died, and the other woman followed, jumping and yapping like a pound let loose on its trainer, the same one who had petted them, and to whom they had squirmed and whined joyfully just an hour before, now milling about him, creasing his sleeves and frightening the Egyptian serenity from his gaze. This way, cried Mrs. Bellows, feeling like Madame Lafarge. Through the back, we've waited long enough to see this ship. Every day he's put us off, every day we've waited, now we will see. No, no, ladies, cried Thurkle, leaping about. They burst through the back of the stage and out a door, like a flood, bearing the poor man with them into the shed, and then out, quite suddenly, into an abandoned gymnasium. There it is! There's the rocket! And then a silence fell that was terrible to entertain. There was the rocket. Mrs. Bellows looked at it, and her hand sagged away from Thurkle's collar. The rocket was something like a battered copper pot. There were a thousand bulges and rents and rusty pipes and dirty vents, on and on in it. The ports were clouded over with dust, resembling the eyes of a blind hog. Everyone wailed a little, sighing, a sighing wail. Is that the rocket ship, glory be to the highest, cried Mrs. Bellows, appalled? Thurkle nodded and looked at his feet. For which we paid out... One thousand dollars apiece, and came all the way to Mars to get on board with you, and go off to find him? asked Mrs. Bellows. Well, that isn't worth a sack of dried bee peas, said Mrs. Bellows. It's nothing but junk. Junk, whispered everyone, getting hysterical. 
Don't let him get away. Thurkle tried to break and run, but a thousand possum traps closed in on him from every side. He withered. Everybody walked around in circles like blind mice. There was a confusion and weeping that lasted for five minutes as they went over and touched the rocket, the dented kettle, the rusty container for God's children. Well, said Mrs. Bellows, she stepped up to the doorway of the rocket and faced everyone. It looks as if a terrible thing has been done to us. I haven't any money to go back to Earth, and I've too much pride to go to the government and tell them a common man like this has fooled us out of our life savings. I don't know how you feel about it, but the reason all of us came is because I'm 85, and you're 89, you're 78, and all of us are nudging on a toward 100. And there's nothing on Earth left for us, and it doesn't appear there's anything on Mars either. We all expected not to breathe much more air or crochet many more doilies, or we'd never have come here. So what I have to propose is a simple thing, to take a chance. She reached out and touched the rusted hull of the rocket. This is our rocket. We paid for our trip, and we're going to take our trip. Everyone stood on their tiptoes and opened an astonished mouth. Thurkle began to cry. He did it quite easily and very effectively. We're going to get in this ship, said Mrs. Bellows, ignoring him, and we're going to take off to where we're going. Thurkle stopped crying long enough to say, but it was just a fake. I don't know anything about space. He's not out there anyway. I lied. I don't know where he is, and I couldn't find him if I wanted to. And you were all fools to either take my word on it. Yes, Mrs. Bellows, we were fools. I'll go along on that, but you can't blame us for we're old. And it was a lovely, good, and fine idea, one of the loveliest in the world. Oh, we didn't really fool ourselves that we could get nearer to him physically. It was the gentle, mad dream of old people, the kind of thing you hold on to for a few minutes a day, even though you know it's not true. So all of you who want to go, you can follow me into the ship. But you can't go, said Thurkle. You haven't got a navigator, and the ship's a ruin. You, said Bellows, will be the navigator. She stepped into the ship, and after a moment, the other old ladies pressed forward. Thurkle, windmilling his arms frantically, was nevertheless pressed through the port, and in a minute, the door slammed shut. Thurkle was strapped into the navigator's seat, with everyone talking at once and holding him down. The special helmets were issued to be fit over every gray or white head to supply extra oxygen, in case of a leakage in the ship's hull. And at long last, the hour had come, and Mrs. Bellows stood behind Thurkle and said, We're ready, sir. He said nothing. He pleaded with them again, using his great dark wet eyes, but Mrs. Bellows shook her head and pointed to the control. Take off agreed Thurkle morosely, and he pulled the switch. Everybody fell. The rocket went up from the planet Mars in a great fiery glide, with the noise of an entire kitchen thrown down on an elevator shaft, the sound of pots and pans and kettles and fires boiling and stews bubbling, with the smell of burned incense and rubber and sulfur, with a color of yellow fire and a ribbon of red stretching below them, and all the old women singing and holding on to each other, and Mrs. Bellows crawling right up Sighing, straining, trembling. Head for space, Thurkle. But it can't last, he said. The ship, it won't last. But it did. The rocket exploded. Mrs. Bellows felt herself lifted and thrown about dizzy like a doll. She heard the great screaming and saw the flashes of bodies sailing by her in fragments of metal and powdery light. Help, help, cried Thurkle, far away in a small radio beam. The ship disintegrated into a million parts and the old ladies, all 100 of them, were flung straight on ahead with the same velocity as the ship. 
As for Thurkle, for some reason of trage trajectory, perhaps he had been blown out the other side of the ship. Mrs. Bellows saw him failing separately and away from them, screaming, screaming. There goes Thurkle, thought Mrs. Bellows. And she knew where he was going. He was going to be burned and roasted and broiled good, but very good. Thurkle was falling down into the sun. And here we are, thought Mrs. Bellows. Here we are, going out and out and out. There was hardly a sense of motion at all, but she knew that she traveled at 50,000 miles an hour and would continue to travel at that speed for an eternity until... She saw the other women swinging all about her in their own trajectories, a few minutes of oxygen left to each of them in their helmets, and each was looking up to where they were going. Of course, thought Mrs. Bellows, out into space, out and out in the darkness like a great church, and the stars like candles, and in spite of everything, Thurkle, the rocket, and the dishonesty, we are going towards the Lord. And there, yes, there, as she fell on and on, coming toward her, she could almost discern the outline now, Coming toward her was his mighty golden hand reaching down to hold her and comfort her like a frightened sparrow. I'm Mrs. Amelia Bellow, she said quietly in her best company voice. I'm from planet Earth. And there you have it. What a great writer. What a great master of the written word. Uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I could just see that imagery there. Ray Bradbury, one of the best. If you guys, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with his work. I, I urge you to see. There's a great version of the Mar Martian Chronicles. It was a, a TV miniseries, I believe, in the, the early 80s. And it might even be public domain. I think it's on YouTube, and it's excellent. Excellent cast, really good effects for the day, and even stand up. And uh, wonderful. Martian Chronicles, Ray Bradbury, try it. I want to thank you guys for listening, as usual. Hopefully we'll get some good feedback. If you like this, I'm going to try to, again, get some uh, more public domain. Or maybe I'll try to just get a good sci-fi story and try to get the rights. I don't know how that would work, but we'll, we'll check them out. And once again, if you have not subscribed, you can do so. The freebie or the paid people, the $4.99. Either or, you'd get some great content here. We appreciate the feedback. Live long and prosper. We'll see you soon.